Welcome everybody to another episode of eBrown Bag. Uh, we're continuing with our VCAP 6 DCV design. Uh, today we have VCDX Mark Gabrielski uh, at Mark Gabs on Twitter, and he's going to present for us objective 1.2. This will be a lot of fun, Ariel. So thanks for the uh, thanks for having me today. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, just some quick notes before I hand over control to Mark. And as, as always, thank you so much, uh, honestly, because I know you do a lot, not only for the community, but you've always been a friend to be Brownback, so I really appreciate it. Uh, just some quick notes. Uh, we have several Twitter hashtags, uh, handles and, ha and a hashtag. And uh, in case you are wondering, you know, what's what's going on, this is what's on a Tuesday, not on a Wednesday, it's because we've been doing this series on the EMEA channel. So the sign-up link is different. Uh, check us up on Twitter. You'll find the sign-up link. And, you know, you can follow as well on uh, YouTube. Those episodes are being published very quickly. All right. With that, I'll go ahead and send it over to uh, Mark. I do see that we have some attendees. If you have a question, just remember to raise your hand, and I'll unmute your microphone, and you can talk directly to Mark. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, this is, you know, for all the attendees, I mean, this is your meeting, right? So, uh, yeah, the, the more interaction we have, the, uh, I think it ends up being a lot more fun to get through uh, any presentation. So, <clears throat> let's start what we're all here to uh, to kind of go over, right? And it's the, the VCAP DCD exam in version 6. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys are taking this as your first VCAP. I'm sure there's just as many people going in and looking to upgrade themselves from a VCAP uh, version five. Um, so, it, really, if we're if we're looking to explore this, let's just start with the basics, right? And objective 1.2 really is um, the focus of today's session, and it's all about application requirements, right? Trying to figure out. Um, how do I take what a business uh, is articulating uh, as a recovery point, as a performance point, um, as a DR or an availability perspective? Uh, so, I mean, the focus here, if you're looking through some of the links and the tools that they're giving you to focus on this objective 1.2, you know, if we're going through, I'll, I've got some links open. We'll just actually look at all of these. So from the TCO calculator all the way down to the couple of white papers that they have uh, published here. So. Just apologize as I'm switching between PDFs and uh, the web page. And uh, actually, I also have one of the presentations um, uh, that I did recently at one of the VTUGs that kind of blends in with this. Uh, so I'll see if we can't fit that in and still have it be a, a reasonable time frame for this webinar. So let's starting out with this TCO calculator and the last one, which will be customer benchmark. I'm sorry, the cost per application and the last one which is business and financial benefits and the reason I want to start with those is they're just the the PDFs that I've got downloaded and you know while it doesn't seem like it may be a completely relevant link if you start going through these white papers and you start looking at some of the things that an architect might think about as they're building or designing uh, any vSphere environment or data center solution or a hybrid cloud solution you know maybe na completely native in AWS these are all considerations uh, that must be given from the cost to the performance to what's the availability plan from recovery perspective and a DR perspective. Uh, so these are going to be good reads, they'll be important. Um, and that last link in the requirements, uh, business and financial benefits, 
again, it doesn't seem like it's a technical read, but you know, this isn't really a technical exam on its own. While it is related to all the vSphere 6x components, there is a, uh, you know, at the design exam, at the VCAP level, you're expected <clears throat> to be able to sit with folks or read uh, some requirements from a, uh, from a business and help them design a solution. And it's not always about what's cool in tech, right? Uh, it is about meeting the business requirements. And you'll hear me say that over and over again. Mark, um, just, just to make sure, I'm not seeing your screen right now. Oh, my apologies. Okay. And, Thank you. Uh, and Paul Craddock, Matt Calloway, that I see you as attendees, remember, um, if you're just coming in, if you want to make a question anytime, just send a, the hand and we'll unlock your microphone. Thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, <clears throat> so again, it's it's all about the business requirements, and we'll see that we go back to that uh, quite often. So switching back to the main landing page, which is the the, the 1.2 uh, characteristics. It sounds like there's a lot in here, and there is, right? It's not just about understanding, um, you know, how a vSphere environment works. So I assume that anybody looking to do a VCAP has already done a VCP. And that's a pretty good assumption, right, for safe reasons. Um, but we're not looking in this exam. Um, I mean, you can, if you've never taken one, you understand it. If you have taken one, uh, it's not looking to see can you build a virtual machine? Can you manage a virtual machine? This is more of can you design a VMware vSphere environment from the vCenter and the platform services controllers uh, across, you know, whether it be one site or multiple data center locations. Can you build DR? How do you address recovery? Can you address an application that has performance requirements? And that's why I see a lot of these links focusing on applications. So if I'm, if, you know, starting to move over, you know, total cost of ownership comparison, I get why they'll put that in a VMware exam. It can help you understand how costs work in a VMware environment. You start looking at how to do virtualization with Oracle. And yeah, this is just another landing page from VMware. But there is quite a bit of good information. And you know, if they're referencing it, take the time. If you're going through and studying, there are a lot of papers here about how to go through and do it. You may not be an Oracle master. That's okay. I'm definitely not an Oracle master. But I definitely have to understand some of these requirements as I'm helping my customers build their Oracle solutions on virtual infrastructures. I start looking at SharePoint, same logic, same approach, right? You have to understand what you're trying to build out uh, so you can understand what your customer is explaining to you for how they need their applications to survive. Good old Microsoft SQL, the other database player, you know, that's another, same reasons, same logic apply. There is just so much good information on this. <clears throat> and if I can shamelessly plug a book, Ariel, stop me if I can't. Yes, you can. If you're looking <laughs> one of one of the books that still sits on my desk and is still a reference point. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Corey, uh, Jeff Stasnak, and Michael Webster got together a few years ago and wrote this book. Um, and it's virtualizing SQL on VMware. If you're looking to understand how applications are developed and considered when when being run in a virtualized environment, this is an absolute must read. Um, while it may not be the most exciting sci-fi novel you'll ever read, it contains so much good information um, that you might smack your head like Homer Simpson a couple of times while you're reading it 
and say, I, I've never done those things. And even myself, I've, I've read through this and I've picked up quite a few good opportunities to help my customers run their environments a little better. Even though it's called out and specifically says on vSphere 5, it still translates well. It's still 100% applicable to all the things that are running in vSphere 6. Uh, <clears throat> actually, today it's on sale. So if you're listening and you're lucky enough, there's that's on sale. We get into SAP. Um, again, these are all relevant links just to help you understand how things are rolling. Uh, but one of the best study tools I have, for some reason, is never listed here. Um, and it's the VMware Hands-On Labs. <laughs> so I absolutely think this is great, right? Um, not every one of us has that luxury uh, to have a full-blown hands-on lab uh, available to us in our house or in our office. Um, just because this, you know, you might see a lab here that's focused on vRealize operations, that doesn't mean you have to do anything with vRealize operations when you jump into that lab. What it means is you have full access and control of that virtual infrastructure they happen to provide you. So if, if you're running short on lab equipment, this might be another way to do it. There are quite a few other ways to do it, but this is really cool. This is If there's any components here you're not really uh, familiar with uh, that are called out, such as Site Recovery Manager or the replication functions, you can definitely sit here and uh, and you'd get some good good knowledge. You'd get a good working understanding of the product, the configuration of any one of the products. Um, and it's been, even myself, again, I still use these tools, uh, even though I do have a full lab available to myself. And then one of the other tools that I've had is uh, a shameless plug here from uh, on myself uh, and uh, John Arashid and Chris McCain. Uh, we went through and put together a book that focuses on how to do design, the, the things to consider. Uh, <clears throat> so this has been a great book, and a lot of folks have uh, used this not only for their VCAP studying, but also for their VCDX preparations and uh, some of their Nutanix uh, preparations as well for the uh, for the high-level certs. I'll, I'll, so I'll tell you, for example, that when that book came out, I bought it immediately because there just wasn't a good book showing a complete design and everything that, that you know had to be thought into it. So it's a must-have. Yeah, and it's kind of cool because uh, John Arashid and I have... Uh, We've approached some other authors, so this right now we're in talks to have six or seven additional books uh, within the next year or two uh, in the series that all have different focus areas. Um, everything, uh, well, I can't really talk about some of the futures. They'll be published on the website, but um, again, just this is something I've had feedback from uh, many people who found it valuable. Um, so, you know. Thank you. Really, it still gets back to this, right? So this isn't going to, I don't want to go through and do anything that's, you know, how is the exam set up? How is, uh, you know, what are the questions like? There are um, some additional components here. So, um, again, this is kind of blanket to all of the preparations for the VCAP deploy, right? But take the time, do the practice exam. If it's still what it was before, and if you've never sat, you'll be happy that you did because you can look at the design tool that you've heard about uh, and it'll show you how that would work. Uh, and, you know, all the recommended training and such. And again, some of the other places, they seem to be missing hands-on lab. They're missing the VMUGs. They're missing the V brown bags in all the communities. But, uh, I mean, this will take you to hands-on lab. And, you know, the Learning Zone, if you happen to have a subscription to that, you can definitely get some, some additional hands-on functions there. But at the price of $400, we don't want to just arbitrarily take an exam. 
and hope we pass. And we really want to try to prepare as as much as we can, so that way when we show up, we're going to be in good shape when we take that exam. So I'm just going to switch out and jump into this, and let's see if we can't make that a little better for uh, for viewing. Uh, how's that coming across, Ariel? Because uh, it just went full screen. You know, I'm not seeing it yet. Okay, let's try that again. You know what, let me just simplify it. Uh, all right, let's just do that. And you know what, even though uh, we should all know how to present, I'm just going to go and just go through the slides here. Sorry about that, folks. No worries. Let me take the opportunity to, uh, since we have more attendees, I'll go ahead and tell them, uh, remember, any questions, just raise your hand, and I'll open up the microphone so you can uh, comment on anything that you see. All right, cool. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I don't do a lot of animation, so this is just as good. But, you know, whatever I'm designing, for applications, you know, I've sat in front of business groups, I sat in front of customers, and when you ask them questions about, you know, how's their application supposed to perform? Uh, the answer of it should perform great all the time isn't really measurable, right? Um, you know, all these other things that we're looking at here into building the application to be available have no bearing if there's no metric to measure it against. Um, so, some things that are out there, whether it be an SLA that focuses on recovery time, an SLA that focuses on performance, number of users that can simultaneously connect and still have a performance expectation of five millisecond response time from an application. To me, those are real metrics. So as you're working to help to, to uncover some of the requirements, I need it to perform fast is not going to make it easy for you to succeed because fast can, can definitely be a subjective kind of term that one person would view very differently than the other. But, I mean, when we start looking at it, this kind of blends with fault, you know, all the other components, but if I'm focused on designing an application, these are all real important terms that I absolutely focus on at all times. The business continuity that really is the overlay to all the other um, levels of availability I'm building in. So, fault tolerance, um, I mean, from the VMware side, if you're looking at a feature, you, you think of FT and how no one's ever used it, and then in 6.0 it had some new features. That's all well and good, but that's not the only level of fault tolerance, you know, whether it be dual power supplies, dual upstream network switches. Um, those are going to be important considerations if your application that's connecting or using those resources has a, you know, four, five, nines level of uptime for, you know, for an SLA. High availability, you know, again, from the ability to recover quickly, we've all seen how that happens in a virtualized infrastructure. And, you know, unfortunately, what I see is a lot of us take that kind of feature set for granted now and just expect it. Um, you know, I've seen so many environments where they've never validated it or they've had it turned on but have over-provisioned virtual machines to a point where an HA event is catastrophic because nothing can fail over. Um, and then recovery, you know, so recovering from the loss of deleted files, recovering from a corrupt operating system, 
recovering from a failed patch maintenance uh, execution. All of those things are there. So whether, you know, there's a lot of options there too, and it's not just backup, right? I mean, there are ways that you could do sand-based snapshots. And again, you know, as you're thinking through all these things, that kind of goes into how you design applications. And when you're building out that infrastructure, all of these considerations are really important. Even if the answer is, I don't want availability, that's great, but you know, you have to identify that. And then DR, you know, we all know DR is going to be part of the exam. It's called out pretty explicitly. Um, so, you know, in the VMware uh, realm of things, uh, one of the other objectives calls out DR and Site Recovery Manager, vSphere Replication. Um, and again, that's going to be a critical thing. So if you've never done SRM, the hands-on labs that I've mentioned earlier that VMware offers, they do have an SRM lab. I would absolutely take it if you've never had exposure to a product like that. Um, you know, you may have exposure to other third-party products that do DR and the automated recovery of that. Um, but this is definitely going to be a VMware exam. You know they're going to focus on the VMware products that are available that do replication, that do the automated DR failover for you, as well as the recovery functions. So you'll see this slide over and over again. I mean, this is one of the slides I show, right? You know, if you go to a... If you go to a business meeting and you start asking people arbitrarily and they don't they don't really know where the, some of their application requirements come in you know they'll say oh I need a SQL server for two thousand dollars and it needs to have five nines of availability and even in the event of a full site failure you know, they may not be assigning the right cost to that level of application um, you know four four and a half minutes of downtime a year is is it's not a lot right there's not a lot of room for error in some of that when you start talking about five nines. So again, I mean, understanding how the application maps out to a, a service level and availability level and then being able to make sure that the solution that you're designing maps out accordingly from a cost perspective to the SLA perspective. Um, if every one of us had an infinite budget, we'd all have a six nines environment. But uh, Unfortunately, even in my own office, uh, I've never been told I have an unlimited budget. So yeah. we always have some level of constraint to work within. Yeah. And Mark, here's a question I have. Uh, we're not talking about planned downtime when we're looking at that chart, are we? Or is that something that the customer defines for us? So I've had different folks, right? Uh, the I think the industry kind of just agrees that this would just be um, – an outage window, right? So I might see one customer who says this is going to be for planned and unplanned downtime. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the outage window that is acceptable. I think a lot more folks have that perspective, but then you might have some additional teams that just have a much more lax perspective and say this is the you know unplanned downtime. Okay. Uh, so I think uh, one of the easiest examples is what Gmail, right? I think they offer what ninety nine percent uptime. Yeah. <laughs> so. But they don't really, you know, that's three and a half days a year. Well, you know, it's a service. It's a free service. I'll take it, right? That To have my email unaccessible for a whole three and a half days a year, I don't I don't mind being unplugged from that. But, you know, if think about it from a different perspective, right? What if that was the customer and the application that you're designing is the SQL web uh, interface that is their customer-facing revenue-generating application? Think of any of the major retailers that live in your area. Uh, and if you were going on online to shop with them, 
if you couldn't if you couldn't get into their application when you you know the web-based interface when you wanted and make a purchase when you wanted uh, that's a potential lost sale right so they view that as a risk and they may say that you know what that might be worth the extra fifty hundred two hundred thousand dollars to deploy a solution so that way I could go from a two nine to a four nine type of solution so I could have you know a good solid web presence with very minimal outages um, and there's every scenario in between, right? Um, it doesn't matter whether the application SharePoint, SQL, Oracle. It matters that you understand what that application needs for uh, an SLA. And here I'm only using the SLA example of uptime. Maybe the SLAs that you're, you know, are going to be focused around performance. Uh, maybe there's a storage requirement. Uh, maybe there's a how many users can, you know, can transact at the same time level. Um, so there are many different ways that you know you can build into SLAs, and it's not just about uptime. Awesome, thank you. So other, much. oh, you're welcome. And then other components that we don't even think about and take you know as we're building the solution. And you know it's it's not just hardware where we look at MTBF or MTTR uh, kind of functions. Um, you know, meantime, to, while a lot of those do have MTBF, that's really focused on hardware for the most part, right? How long is it between com potential component failures? And you know, if you're building a storage array or a network solution, you know the switches that go in, you know their mean time uh, between failures might be very long, five, seven years. Uh, you start looking at hard drives, and your mean time between failure might be two, three years, right? Uh, so those are going to be components that you predict will fail, and you know you've got some measurements that you can use to help back some of the decisions you make as you pick hardware, as you pick software to go ahead and help you deal with you know, continuity as well as recovery, as well as disaster recovery solutions. Um, and then RTO and RPO are always there as well. Um, and I really like to bring up the points, you know, um, it can really change the way you design a database server. Um, now, technically, couldn't I just build one big C drive for a Microsoft SQL Server and throw my databases and logs onto it? Absolutely, you can. Technically, you can. Um, but there's going to be performance implications for that. There's also going to be a recovery implication for that as well. So, I mean, if you have a 100 gig SQL database um, you, and you have a C drive that's 200 gigs to hold not only the, the operating system and the database and the logs, but also all the backups, if you have to recover that 100 gig database, you're not recovering 100 gigs you might have to recover 200 gigs from backup because it would be a full virtual machine restore if you had to restore the whole VM. So wouldn't, you know, maybe I separate out a, a, another virtual drive to do all my backups. Maybe I pull my logs off of it, not because it's a performance requirement, it, it'll help with performance, it might, but because it'll help me with my recovery SLAs. And if I only have to recover the 100 gig database, I don't have to worry about the backups and the logs and the operating systems. So different things like that can help you uh, hit a shorter recovery time objective. Um, and the same goes with the recovery point. How far back can you roll, roll back and lose data? Um, and being able to understand those types of things um, as you're architecting and preparing for this exam, those are going to be important points to note. Um, you know, uh, one thing I always love hearing is, uh, well, if I have a four-hour recovery point objective, I'll just replicate every four hours. Well, if you do that, you risk you have the potential to be in a position 
where if all the stars line up correctly you, and you had a failure, because you're only replicating once every four hours, you have the potential to have data that's seven hours, 59 minutes old if there was a failure. Mm -hmm. So if you have a four-hour RPO, you might want to replicate every two hours. So little things like that that can be beneficial to folks as they're, you know, as they're learning to build out these environments. And again, meeting the business requirements is what it's all about. Um, and really, if we start going through it, one of the things I always see this, I always bring it up, um, DNS, time services, authentication, the ability to connect to the net, and it's been even more prominent for the last few years. We've all seen how time services now are really an integral part. Um, when you're building and thinking about these components, don't take them for granted when you're building and designing applications. Always make sure that if you're, you know, if you need to talk to Active Directory, make sure it's there. Make sure that you're in sync with time on Active Directory. Call those things out. As you're deploying applications, make sure the DNS environment's right. And if it's just a large desktop rollout, make sure you've got the DHCP services and you've tested and validated these components. Know how they work. Know how um, the replication times work, how time to lives works. Um, and in general, NTP, Windows 32 time, it's Windows versus Linux. But the end result is both are going to be critical because I could have the whole environment in my office be five hours off. As long as everyone in my environment is five hours off, that's great. The solution will work. If one person is even five minutes off, well, we've all seen what happens when we try to log into Active Directory where our clocks aren't synced up. Um, <laughs> ex exaggerate that and take it to scale with a, a large distributed application, and you can see how everything could just fall apart. Even considerations in the data center, I'm just going to kind of breeze through some of these because, you know, it's great if we have all these different feeds and generators to make sure that our data center is redundant, but, you know, another set of arrows would be wonderful to have different power feeds and all these feeds and ge generators running on different sides of the building. Just, you know, in the New England area here in the States, uh, we very often have outages that are caused by contractors digging up the street, fixing potholes and uh, road repair and taking companies offline for days at a time. So even little things like this that we take for granted. You know, if the application lives in this building, those are going to be some of the constraints you have to live with. Same thing when you get down to a rack level. Um, we have power and network and sand fabric. I know very few environments where we only have one switch at the top of the rack. Usually we have two switches and, and dual connect everything. Even in physical servers, you know, we start looking at some of the components in there. You know, I might have two 10 gig um, LAN on motherboard connections for my network in a, you know, some of the newer servers that are available today. That's great, but you know, if they're both happen to reside on the same motherboard or the same little PCI slot, that's potentially a risk. However, unlikely it is nowadays for a network card to fail, it's still a risk. And being aware of that as you're building the components that fit into a server, line up with a lot of the objectives in 1.2 and other objectives. Um, because if the goal is to avoid failure and maintain the application's availability, removing as many of those single points of failure is really going to be key. Even physical servers, when you know we take two drives, uh, a lot you know a lot of folks have transitioned in their ESX builds now, 
and we use the SD cards or the USB drives um, inside the servers to boot the operating system. And that's great, it works really well, but what if that drive dies? And most of us have a highly available vSphere environment and we, you know, maybe we mitigate the risk. Yeah, we, we can let HA work and we'll have our VMs back in five minutes. But if that's not an acceptable answer, you know, for the loss of a single drive, I still have a few customers that do put, you know, two drives into a physical server, put them behind a RAID controller, and eliminate the drive as the single point of failure. But then they introduce a new single point of failure, which is the single RAID controller. <laughs> So there's a lot of ways you can take a look at some of these things. There's pros and cons to everything. You know, no one can eliminate every single point of failure. You're just looking at eliminate as much as you possibly can. So Same with on, that, on that topic, I wanted to bring you something that, <clears throat> sorry, that just happened uh, to some friends of mine, that they're having uh, their their SD cards are failing uh, because some new features are writing more and more to the SD cards, and they're not supposed to be as good. As a, as a hard drive is. So they're seeing a higher rate of SD failures to the point that they're considering going back to hard drive. So there, there's a lot to to see as as a, as a design plays out to see if it actually was a good idea, right? So <clears throat> if we're gonna focus on that topic for a segue for a moment, I'd love to, because I've been doing the SD cards as my preferred mechanism uh, since version 4.0 came out, which, I don't know, I think that's 2006. Um, I even have some environments where I implemented it, they're still running on those same SD cards. Um, so if you have, you know, if that's going to be an example that you want to bring up, people having failures with that, one of the things to mitigate some of that would have been log files are redirected um, when you do some SD cards, so that helps. But there are still some scratch disks and things that we want to try not to put on those SD cards. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are ways you can get around some of those components. And you know, even today, uh, in some of the newer hardware. I know Dell is one of the vendors that's done it for a very long time. I believe HP and uh, EMC, uh, Lenovo, uh, most of the vendors do have it. And it's dual SD cards that are mirrored. Mm -hmm. So again, that's another way to go ahead and mitigate some of these components, right? And it's, you know, while we're talking about building the physical hardware of the vSphere environment, you know, how does that relate to the 1.2 objective about application requirements? A lot of the application requirements that you're going to hear are all about availability, uptime, SLA um, for performance, or you know, uh, transactions per second uh, that the application can handle. Any outage can definitely affect that. So we just like to avoid them. Exactly. Thank you. Same reason that we do. You know, I don't think any one of us um, connects a single network cable to an ESX server, and we see all of these designs. And, you know, whether you stack the upstream network core switches or leave them as two separate entities, they both have pros and cons to how you would do that. And, you know, not everyone thinks it's uh, appropriate to stack or have, you know, stack up those upstream switches. There, there are teams that like to manage them completely separately and just pass traffic between them because it gives them two points of failure that they can manage. Uh, and then you have additional, then you'd have a different argument from different teams where they might say, well, I want to go ahead and have a single management pane for my network. So they'll stack these and treat them as a single logical entity. So many variations on that. Same with storage and storage arrays are a single point of failure. Some folks have a SAN virtualization software that they can put in where, you know, uh, VPlex is a pretty common one. 
common utilized one on EMC arrays. Uh, and really, that means whenever you write to, to disk, you're not just writing to one storage array, you're writing to both. Um, and it's seen to you as a single logical drive. So again, some applications may have this type of need, right? They can't go down at any point in time. So if you're really looking for that five nines, this might be something that you would be implementing in your environment. <clears throat> this is always my favorite, uh, which is clustered virtual machines. Um, and, you know, back in, I, I started IT in the 90s, and clusters were something that we did, and, and it was a very tedious process. I remember in NT4, it could take up to a full day, sometimes two days, to set up just the basics of a two-node clustered application. Um, today, we set up VMware clusters in a matter of minutes, right? We get ESXi installed on them, and we get some HA. Uh, and back in, in the 90s, we didn't have SLAs the way we have them today. We didn't have the expectation from the business that we're always on. But for those critical applications, they didn't want a hardware failure to bring down an application that was important to the business. So you saw some clusters that existed out there for that reason, to help you alleviate the hardware failure. Now, that's well and good. So VMware, with its native HA, helps you alleviate one of those Constrict, uh, those problems, right? So if a host fails, VMware HA just goes and, and fires up the VM on a surviving host. But we do have that, that application outage during the HA event. So I have customers who still to this day, however much they don't like it from a management perspective, the business likes it from an availability perspective because they might have two virtual machines that live on two different hosts. And if the if one of the hosts fails, and one of the nodes of the cluster fails, they may only have a 30-second window when the application is not available. And 30 seconds versus five minutes might mean a lot to a business, again, depending on what the application is doing, who is uh, utilizing that application. So uh, the other argument I get for clusters, too, what if you had a very long patch maintenance uh, cycle, right? Um, and you know, I bow to the folks that bring these up, these things up because it's a valid point. Um, if you have two application servers and they're running on a Windows operating system and it comes time for Patch Tuesday and then you go to patch your operating system and your application, anyone, you know, there's no way you can guarantee your application would be patched and up and running in 30 seconds. So people who still deploy clustered virtual machines or a physical and a virtual machine that are clustered uh, or two physical machines that are still clustered. Um, they might be doing it just because they know the patch and maintenance window might be four or six hours to do work on a machine, and they still want the application available during the maintenance window. So I still see this as part of the, uh, the considerations and the things that we have to address as we're looking at our, uh, at our applications. Um, and today it becomes even easier, right? Um, Anyone who still might run Exchange on-prem knows all about DAGs and how now you can have two database uh, database servers running and replicating all the data because the mail will still be available that way, but there's no clustering per se the way we did it where we actually used to have to have shared disks like this. And again, it all comes back to making sure you're meeting SLAs that the business wants to wants to hit. When we did virtualization, we got spoiled, right? These are all the things that we expect now, so this will be a nice, quick, a 
quick set of slides, right? We all have our inf we all manage our environment. We're all looking through a vCenter. So now we get a global view of our environment. So vCenter now becomes a main point, right? That becomes the application that we as administrators care about. Um, and it's made us made hitting a lot of these goals much easier, right? In the old days, it was that one-to-one -one that I was just describing on clusters. Today, we have many VMs on one piece of gear. We take for granted the ability to use vMotion and move our workloads around, whether it be from an availability perspective, preventative maintenance, preventative, uh, uh, or just shuffling the workload around to get better performance. We got storage vMotion. We can move from one set of disks to another. Again, whether I'm migrating from one old SAN or to another. Uh, or whether it's rearranging the way my VMs live on disk to, to better their performance. Uh, DRS will automate a lot of our workload. Uh, again, these are things that we seem to take for granted now when we build up a VMware environment. And it's, you know, it's just really cool to see how these technologies have um, improved over time and all the new features that they've added into them. Um, and in 6.5, which is not relevant for the, for the design exam, I mean, DRS has had some new features that make it even easier to avoid that running into a slot size problem. Um, so even today, the configuration of DRS has become greatly simplified. HA, we've talked about, and hopefully, you know, we've experienced it. Uh, we've been happy it worked. We just didn't like that it, you know, we had a failure. Um, and fault-tolerant VMs, they're out there but it becomes a very expensive VMware cluster that would run fault-tolerant VMs. And I say that because when you start reading the limitations, uh, you'll see that there's no more than four virtual machines that should run on a host um, if they're being uh, marked as fault-tolerant VMs. But at least today, it's a lot better than it was in 5X timeframe, where we can only have a single CPU running on a VM with fault tolerance on. Talked about recovery and you know, regardless of the backup solution you used out there, we can back up a whole VM, we can restore a whole VM, we can restore the individual files. This comes into the, you know, again, the availability and continuity strategies that you're delivering for your applications, for your virtual infrastructure as well. I mentioned SRM. There's a lot of applications that do that, but I know that, uh, that the DR and the replication components of the exam call out SRM particularly. So <clears throat> Some of the different ways it works uh, are going to be relevant to that uh, as part of your design, right? And it's not just because it's cool technology, it's because it's really going back to measuring against some of the SLAs the business gives you. And in the future, if we're starting to do this, you'll see that it's all the same things I've been talking about. Um, you know, as we're building these solutions, the end result as you're building an application or designing an application to run on physical or virtual or cloud infrastructures, the first thing that you care about really is meeting the requirements. Another thing that's going to be important to you as an architect, uh, not only for the exam, but in the real world, is making sure that the goals that the business has outlined and the requirements they've defined line up with the right cost. Again, that goes back to nobody has an infinite budget regardless of how much we'd like to. Understanding all the risks and the decisions around that, all the things that we've just talked about from data center and rack availability to server availability to do I cluster the application so that way I understand uh, I'm just going to mitigate the risk of long patch cycles affecting the availability of the application. And yeah, you know, 
if this is uh, some of this stuff is new to you, that's great. But you know, as most of us are also learning cloud technologies, we're learning new ter new terms. We're learning some of the new tech that we're embracing. Um, some of us uh, willingly, some of us being dragged by our feet. But we're learning some of these, and they're going to be important as we start architecting out those solutions. Because um, this is really where, outside of the exam, this is really where our business expects us to be. But you know. Up until now, we've only had this kind of capability to, to move workloads around within our data center. Um, we're getting to that point where I start to see this year, uh, we're going to start being able to do vMotion between on-prem stuff and hybrid cloud providers. Um, and yeah, it's just really exciting to start to see some of that. And I'm going to look forward to that as they go through and start doing the next generation of this VCAP exam and how that fits into the designs that we're going to go through. Um, and some of the ways that they'll present those questions. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to look forward to in the next two years. Uh, so really, I mean, it's all about the availability of your applications from the business's perspective. You might use seven, eight, ten different tools to accomplish some of those. You might only have to use one, one tool to help get some of the application. Um, what if your business doesn't tell you SLAs? Write your own. Even if they're wrong, start writing your own. I mean, that's more from a practical perspective, but from the design perspective. Even if you give your give your one of your you know your business units, you know, three nines of availability, getting nine hours of an outage over the course of a year, that's pretty good, and that's pretty easy to do in a virtual environment. But you know, even if your SLA that you've defined for the business is wrong, at least you started doing that. Maybe someone will help you correct that and line it up with real business goals and costs. So, I don't know. That's kind of what I had. Yep. On the table. I really, I really like that last uh, tip. You know, write your own. If nobody will give you one, at least you have a starting point, and then you can have that discussion if someone doesn't like it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it is kind of cool, right? So I've been in a in a situation where they're like, "Oh, I have this heavily transactioned web, you know, web interface that's going to drive, you know, my customers are going to use." Great. Well, how are you measuring performance? Well, it just has to be good enough. Well, for who, yeah. right? For what? Define good enough. Uh, and they really couldn't. So we're like, all right, well, let's say it's 100 users. And the response from the team at that point was, no, there's going to be way more than that. So even by bringing up the wrong SLA, you're at least starting the discussion to get to the right SLA because it took a little a while. And we figured out they wanted around the potential design around 1,000 actual users active on the system. That's a far cry from 100, but if I didn't bring it up at least in that perspective, I would have had time hitting the objective of good enough if I didn't know what I was shooting for. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that you mentioned, especially because you're right, this will come in our future where we are uh, forced to have the discussion of public versus private cloud. <clears throat> One thing that you mentioned in your application requirements is data flow. So some people really don't want their data on someone else's cloud or servers and um, you know that privacy thing starts being part of your design criteria because if you have to encrypt your VMs if you have to do this or that it's a completely different design yeah and you know those things are getting vetted out and you see a lot of different cloud providers providing HIPAA or PCI or DOD levels of compliance now um, and you know offering up SOX compliance stores uh, it's really kind of cool, uh, you know, that these are getting offered that way because the expert expertise is out there. Um, is everyone going to jump on that bandwagon this year? Well, I don't think everyone's going to 
dump their entire data center and move out to the cloud, but people are doing it in the real world, and they're embracing the hybrid stuff. Uh, you don't have to like it. You just have to learn how to deal with it and how to incorporate that into your day-to-day -day designs and, and operations. Yep. So one thing before we leave, I'm going to open up the mics uh, to the people that are attending in case they want to have any questions, any comments for you. And Everyone shout at once. <laughs> everybody do it at once. No. I see we have we have Jorge, who is a good friend of ours, and we have Matt Calloway and Paul Craddock, who attended uh, presented last week. So, pretty awesome. Hey guys, how are you, Mark? How are you? How are you doing, guys? Good, good. Jealous, jealous that you went to a game, Jorge. Oh wait, oh, no, man. no. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I joined late. I just left work and. Uh, but good stuff. I'm all for this to learn about you guys. Thank you. Any questions? Any? You're welcome. Any questions on the team then? No. And Paul, Paul, I know that you just presented uh, 1.3. Do you have any other examples that you would like to share, uh, particularly on 1.2? Um, no, not necessarily. I thought it was a really, it was a really thorough talk. So, I mean, anything uh, else I would share would just be a reiteration of, of uh, you know, really what's what's been shared already. So, no need to, no need to beat a dead horse. Awesome. Yeah, that was good. It's it's really hard to focus on an application because you know they don't really tell you which application. So you just kind of have to understand how to approach it. That's that's what I really try to get across when I'm, I'm trying to help somebody uh, get through some of these exam prep stuff. Uh, it's really just understand how to approach it, not for the specific application. Yep. All right. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, Mark, thank you again. It was, this was an awesome presentation. And I'll see you the recording. Um, everybody, you know where to find Mark on Twitter. You know, you know, his book is awesome. I really recommend it. It's a book I, I bought as soon as it came out. So can't say enough good things about Mark. Uh, I'll give my co-authors a lot of credit on that, Chris McCain and John Arashid. There you go. All right. Thank All you, right. everybody. Thanks, everyone, for attending. Bye-bye.